last week, whenever we were going through uh, the idea of fasting, I touched in on this verse in 2 Corinthians about beholding the face of God. And so I want to dive more into that concept of sanctification today. So today we're going to be looking at the idea of sanctification, and the next week we'll start at Ruth. So if you have a Bible, as I said, uh, we're going to be looking at Second Peter today. If you're able to, I'd love for you to stand. We're going to stand and read uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And then after I finish that, I'll say, thanks be to God. And you'll respond by saying, Pray, uh, no, I'll say it's the word of the Lord. You'll say by praise be to God. I got all backwards there. And you'll say uh, thanks be to God. And of course, when you say thanks be to God, you're thanking the Lord that he would give you his text, but also use that as a time for yourself to say, God, the things that you show me today, Holy Spirit, the things that you teach me, help me obey them. Help me say yes to those. So starting in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you want to stand with me, that's fine. Uh, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 1 and I'll read through verse 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, <clears throat> may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of our Lord uh, and, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may, you, have be, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffectual or unfruitful, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that as we look at this text and as we think on what it means to become more and more Christ-like, that you will, you will help us have insights into the text that perhaps we've never seen before, that you'll teach us, Holy Spirit, in those places that we need to be comforted, that you'll do that. In those places that we need to be convicted, you'll do that as well. I pray for uh, guidance and help this this morning, Lord, that uh, all the things that I say will be helpful and truthful and glorifying to you. And we pray, God, that uh, after we look at this text, after we think on sanctification, not just that we'll have more knowledge of it, not just that we'll uh, be more mindful of it, but God, that we will become more sanctified for your glory. That our hearts will want to pursue Christ-likeness in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, sometimes we do this at, at the house, and you probably, I'm sure, do it. We get pizza, and whenever we get the pizza, uh, we eat it or whatever, you know, and then you go to bed, and then we wait, I, at least for me, I wake up at like midnight or one, just absolutely thirsting to death. I'm like, what is going on? And every time I have pizza, I wake up 
after having slept for three or four hours and I'm just so thirsty, right? And so I go as fast as I can to the kitchen. I'm drinking a little bit of water. Like three or four glasses, right? Down in it, down in it because I'm so thirsty. Every single time I have pizza, is this just me? Is it anybody else? For some reason, it's just pizza. Okay, thank you, PD. PD and Aiden are with me. Everybody else thinks I'm strange, but that's the way it is, right? But in the moment, when I wake up, here's my point. The whole point is this. In the moment, when I wake up having eaten pizza hours before, it makes me so thirsty. At that moment right there, the, the veracity or the, the, the voraciousness of my thirst is so strong, I have to have water at that moment. That same idea is the way I want us to approach Christ-likeness because we are so thirsty to be more like Christ. We, we, we have to go do something about it at that moment. That same mentality that we have. Um, so when we're going into sanctification here, I want us to think about sanctification in that way. I want us to uh, really be intent on wanting it to happen in our life. So I want to think about, I've been thinking about how do I approach sanctification to a church that largely agrees that we're supposed to be Christ-like and they want it in their life? What would be a way that I can talk about it with us? Uh, so what do I mean by sanctification? And then we'll, we'll talk about what it means. So uh, the idea, I've said this numerous times, hopefully you've, this is all review uh, if you've been here a while, but the idea of being saved in the Bible, the, we're, we're, our salvation is really kind of happening in, in different in different functions and parts. There's, just, there's regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. And as those things happen to us, that's what kind of the big, huge, big picture umbrella of salvation is. Regeneration is the, the moment that God awakes your mind and heart to the realities of who Christ is and what he's done in the gospel. And all of a sudden, you've never thought about it before, but you see that as amazing. You see that as beautiful. You see that as something that you must have. Your, your heart's been regenerated and all of a sudden you need it. And so justification, is whenever you say, Christ, I want you. I believe that you died on the cross. I trust in, in your work on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And the moment you trust, the moment you put your faith, it's not the prayer that saves, but it's faith. The moment you put your faith in, in Christ, boom, he declares you as righteous and innocent. That's, you're justified. You are declared righteous in the courtroom of God now. And then after that, from that moment until the moment we, we die, that long process, it could be 80 years, it could be 20, it could be 20 minutes, like that long period that we live is the, where we become more and more and more and more Christ-like. That process is called sanctification. So regeneration's in a moment, justification's in a moment, sanctification is the rest of your life that you're alive until you die. And when you die, you're your body, your mind, your soul, all of this is kind of transformed into a lot like Jesus's resurrected body and our bodies will be glorified. That whole thing is salvation. Now, sometimes we shorthand it. We say, you need to be saved. And what we mean is you need to be justified, which is fine. The Bible does that too. But when we talk about salvation, um, we are all, if we're believers, in this process of being sanctified. We're in this long process of becoming more and more Christ-like. And so I want all of us to think about that today. I want us to talk about it. I want us to pursue it. I want us to thirst for it as, as much as we can. So what does it mean? Now, when I talked about salvation, if you're, we're paying attention, every single one of those things is something God does by himself, besides sanctification. Um, Regeneration is a work of God, not you. You can't regenerate yourself. You never could. Justification is a work of God and God alone. You can't, you can't justify yourself. Only God can. 
The glorification is a work of God. You can't, you can't glorify yourself. Only God can. But sanctification is a progressive work. This is Grudem. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more uh, Christ-like in our actual lives. So sanctification is where God and man are, are doing work together. Now, Philippians 2 10, 11, 12, in the end says, it's really God doing it, but you're doing it too, but it's really God kind of doing it. So like, it's, it's still God, right? But nevertheless, I do not want to. The purpose of this sermon is to dive in on the fact that we have something that we're to do in sanctification. We are not to just passively sit back as passive agents and let sanctification happen to us, even though it's promised. Philippians 1, 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20. We know that it's supposed to happen to us, and we know that God's promised it. But what I want to talk about today is, is our responsibility in it, but you will, you'll see that it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So first thing is this. As I talked about last week, um, 2 Corinthians three eighteen 18 uh, says this, and we all with unveiled face, this is for us who are being sanctified, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed, here's this sanctification language, we're being transformed into, transformed into the same image. Now the same image is what we just read, the glory of the Lord. So we're being transformed into the, the, the same image, which is the glory of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another, from this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, as you read this text, we see that the glory of the Lord is the catalyst for being transformed. The glory of the Lord is the thing that helps us become more sanctified. In the text, it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding, and there's this little supplied phrase, which is, can be brought forward from the Greek as in a mirror. As in a mirror, it can be supplied in there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. And this changes it a little bit and helps us understand a little bit more. Instead of looking up into the heavens or looking out to the glory of God, it seems that it's saying that we are looking at ourselves in the mirror and we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. Now, generally when I look in a mirror, I see myself. That's what happens, right? That's the normal thing that happens when you look in a mirror. And this text is saying, that with unveiled face, we are beholding not ourselves, but the glory of the Lord in the mirror. But when we look in the mirror, we're still supposed to be seeing ourselves. The understanding of that text is when you look in the mirror, you're supposed to see yourself. But this case, sanctification is like when you look in the mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, all that's important because when you're looking in the mirror, you're supposed to be seeing yourself and you're seeing the glory of the Lord. You really are seeing yourself, but you're seeing what the glory of the Lord is doing in you. And that's what helps us understand sanctification better. So we're not looking out to the heavens. We're not looking out to the glory of the Lord. And sanctification, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. But as we look at ourselves in the mirror, what we're really seeing is God transforming us into the image of himself. Which is why I said last, last week, beholding is becoming. Beholding, looking at the glory of the Lord, intently as you can, is the key to becoming more like Jesus. Beholding is becoming. You have to behold in order to become. You have to stare intently as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord of what he's doing in your life in order to become more like Jesus. The beholding here in this text is present middle participle when it comes to verbiage, understanding the verb. And what it means is this, is that it's happening right now. It's happening right now. 
for you. It's happening right now. By God, your sanctification is happening right now. And Calvin says that really three things are happening when we look at this. He says, God is face to face with us right now, show us, showing um, us himself. He's showing us himself as we look in the mirror. And that should be super encouraging because when you look in the mirror, the glory of the Lord is reflecting back to you saying, this is what you're becoming. This is what you're becoming. So keep staring, keep beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. That's the first thing. Second thing is this that Calvin says is, this means we must actively pursue beholding the glory of the Lord as often as we can. We wanna be sanctified, pursue beholding the glory of the Lord as often as you can. And last thing, and this is maybe the hardest part, but certainly can be the most encouraging. It's not an instantaneous act. You, you are not transformed perfectly into the glory and the holiness of Christ in one 24-hour period. We want to be. We want to shed sin that way, but that's not what it happens. It's, it's not an instantaneous act. Instead, it's a progress. So we must be patient. The great news is that God, your Father, is patient with you. And so you can be patient. Not saying that you can just not pursue sin, but you can be patient. We're being sanctified continually, and we seek the knowledge of God and we conform into his image. So what's the way that we can do this? What's the way to preach sanctification to you most uh, effectively? You can just ask yourself, is it a sheer willpower and self-discipline? Is that what I'm supposed to do? How is this going to happen? Do I just begin the process of sanctification, reorienting my desires by willpower? Well, we just said no, right? We just said we want to behold. We don't look at ourselves it's not stare at yourself and get mad at your sin. It's behold the glory of the Lord. So it's not willpower. But you do have to hate your sin. God wants us to hate our sin uh, in order to kill it. We don't just concentrate on the killing. We concentrate on the hating part uh, because that's what Christ does. He does not want us to sin. And then from that, I think that we'll start seeing fruit and killing our sin. But we don't want us to be sanctified just for ourselves primarily. So the reason why you want to be sanctified isn't first and foremost so that you stop sinning so you can just feel better. That's, that's really secondary. The reason why you want to be sanctified primarily is because you love God's glory. Whenever we stare into the mirror, we are beholding the glory of God. And so we want to become more and more like him. We're sanctified for God and his glory first not for ourselves first. If we think that we become more sanctified just so we don't feel bad because we sin, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's a secondary reason, and that's fine. It's not necessarily wrong, but the primary reason that we're being sanctified is because we love the glory of God. So how can we figure that out? I want to start at an odd place. Sanctification is a pro process that we cooperate with God, become more sanctified. And here's the way I want us to think about sanctification via God's glory. I want us to start with an odd place that leads us to being sanctified, concentrating on God's glory. So I want to start with the final judgment that's going to happen for us all. Final judgment yields God's glory to us, which yields our sanctification. So we're going to pursue sanctification starting with the very end. I'm going to read a couple texts uh, and 
I just want you to concentrate on the final judgment. Verse, this is Romans 14, 10 through 12. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's Romans 14. Another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So I don't want us to key on anything else except for just the fact that one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God and as it says, we will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, that point for Christians might be a little bit puzzling as we think about the, the final account we stand before the judgment throne of God and what, what we have to do. The reason why it might be puzzling, as you hear it, we must give a, a, an account to God because of Romans 8.1 comes to mind, right? When you think of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that's the case, it seems puzzling if there's no condemnation and our sins are forgiven, why do we have to give an account of ourselves before God? That seems puzzling to me. What would be the purpose of us to have to do this. If all is forgiven, then how come we have to do it? And I think that we have to understand forgiveness to understand why it's done. It doesn't mean that it won't happen. I think it still will happen. So here's why. Um, let, me, let me give an example by saying, uh, if someone sins against us, this is what we do. And I'll, I'll, get, I'll try to, once I talk about this, I think it'll make more sense. If someone does something wrong to you uh, and they come to you and they ask forgiveness, uh, what do you need to do? What you need to do is grant forgiveness. Recompense needs to be made in order for, it to, to, for you to forgive them. You, 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 you want to give forgiveness out. If someone does something wrong to you and they ask forgiveness and they don't ask for repayment for the wrong, you can, you can say, that's okay. You don't need to repay me. Uh, I just forgive you. No big deal. That's the way we can forgive. We don't have to have a repayment. We can just say, I forgive you, forget about it, it's fine. But that's exactly not what God does. That's exactly not what God does. As a matter of fact, he can't just do that. If, if we, somebody sins against me, we don't have to be repaid. We can just say, it's fine, it's all good. But God absolutely cannot do that because he's holy. Repayment has to be made. He has to be, it has to be made or else he's not holy anymore. We can just sweep sin under the rug and say it's not a big deal. But God does not do that. He cannot just say it's okay. His holiness demands that recompense or repayment be, be made. He can never just forget it and act like it's, it's okay. To us that might seem unloving, but it is the most loving thing that he can do is make sure that he remains holy because He's God, he must demand payment. And this is where it gets awesome because he has demanded payment from us specifically by saying, I'm going to put my son forward as the payment for your sin. So whenever we ask for forgiveness, he's not just saying, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. He has to demand payment. And so instead of demanding payment from you or me, he put his son forward and his son became the payment. And now we can receive forgiveness by saying, Jesus was my payment and now all I get is the, the righteousness and the forgiveness of Christ, which is amazing. So on that last day, whenever we're standing before the judgment throne of God, there is no condemnation, condemnation at all. So what would be the purpose then of, him, of us having to give an account for the sins, showing the sins that what we've done that don't condemn us? What would be the point of that? And I think that I'm arguing that if we can figure that reason out, then we can know the point of sanctification. 
If we can figure that reason out, we'll know the point of sanctification. And here what it, here's what it is. I believe the reason God is showing us our forgiven sin in that moment is because it makes him more glorious in that moment. It makes him more glorious in that moment. In that, this is what happens. In the final judgment when he says, uh, here's the sins that you did, not to condemn you, but instead to remind us. He says, you see that sin right there that you did, you have to give an account for? That sin, I didn't just let it go. I put it on my son. This sin right here, not to condemn you, but to remind you. And it's not a painful reminder because we know that there's no pain in heaven. Again, it's to say, my son's bloody cross paid for that payment. Over and over and over, what that does, this whole thing happening to us, reminds us again and magnifies more his glory. And so, whenever we start with the final judgment and we think of the glory that will be abounding that day for, for Christ. That fuel is the exact same thing that fuels us in our sanctification today. You can't see sanctification happen, but whenever we think about sanctification, bringing God glory primarily, not primarily making it so that I sin less so I feel bad, I don't feel as bad. When we think about sanctification as primary for God's glory first, then I think that we'll pursue sanctification more. And that's, I think that's the right way to think about sanctification. So if you're a Christian, whenever you're saved by Christ, you embrace the, the fight for sanctification more um, because you know that it brings God, God glory. And you want to do that. Whenever uh, JC was younger, we took her to this allergist and, uh, you know, they, they did the thing where they, they get the marker out on her back and they write like 64 different marks and they give her, you know, maybe you've never seen this. It's just awful. And they get like 64 shots and they stick her all over in each one, each little box. And they know what each little box means and they stick her and they stick her. And then they wait like five minutes and they wait to see what swells up on her back. And then they know everything that she's allergic to, right? And so her back's swelling up on the top right shoulder blade, but not on the left and not on this part. And it's just amazing, right? At the end, we figure out that she's allergic to tree nuts and some other stuff, right? And so we're thinking, okay, at least we know no more nuts for you, Jace. And so that's, we're just, that's all we're thinking. But they, after they're done, the, the doctor comes in and the nurse comes in and they have all these pamphlets and they sit down with us, you know, and it's like really serious and way more serious than I was thinking. And they say, okay, we need to talk to you. Everything's going to be okay, but we have to talk. And so they're getting super serious, and I'm like, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, so she's got, um, she's got these particular allergies, and so we're going to have to make some real lifestyle changes. And with these lifestyle changes, it can be tough, and it can be difficult. And so we're going to have meetings. We're going to have counseling groups for you. We have, we have allergy counseling groups that you can come to on Thursday nights, and we can all sit around, and my name's Jacey, and I have allergies or whatever. Like, it's just it's always getting super involved, and there's a whole lot more commitment than what I wanted to get involved with for allergies. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. This is a whole lot more commitment for allergies. It's more than I want. And here's the thing. I think that sometimes when we think about the lifestyle changes and we think about the commitment that's involved to Christ, we approach it the same way and we start saying, wait a second here, this is a lot more commitment than I really wanted. I just wanted to be saved and not go to hell. Hell sounds awful. But, you know, there's a lot more it sounds like that's involved here. I'm not really interested in that. Well, when it comes to allergy meetings, certainly, you can, this isn't for me. But when it comes to Jesus, that's not the way that we approach our faith. Instead, it is all-encompassing. Everything changes 
a big, huge reorientation shift. And now everything I do, every thought I think, every act that happens for me is for one major purpose, God's glory. Not mine, not my, not my thoughts, not what I want, God's glory. And if I start approaching my life and my sanctification that way, and everything I want to do is for God's glory, well then, I'm living the way Christ wants. Then I'm living as a, as a sanctified saint the way that he wants me to do. And so we need to ask ourselves: since I've been justified, for those that are in Christ, since I've been justified, am I ready now to pursue sanctification as a weighty lifetime commitment? Because in salvation, God has done everything for us and sanctification is where we and God work together. And I, I do not want to, and listen, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the gospel, right? Like, it's, it has saved you thoroughly. You are completely innocent. But I do not think, and I do not think it's helpful to, uh, in sanctification, erase our responsibility or diminish our responsibility or just not kind of talk about our responsibility in sanctification and just major on justification over and over and over. I don't think that's helpful for life because that's not how it works for us. So what I want to in this sermon is talk about what our life looks like in regard to sanctification First off, pursuing God's glory. All doing all these things for God's glory. So, we're going to look at this text here. We're going to look at five things about sanctification. Um, this, this book was written by Peter. Uh, he was, um, he wrote this around 68 AD. AD 68, you're supposed to say it that way, sorry. Um, 30, about, uh, about 35 years after Jesus died. Um, he's in prison, likely a Roman prison. He knows he's going to die soon and he writes this. And if you will, Notice with me in verse 1, he's writing this to Christians. So Simon Peter, servant of Apostle Christ Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Christians. So when he talks about becoming more Christ-like, this is not to unbelievers. This isn't for unbelievers to just make huge behavioral changes in your life. It's to those who have been saved and now you're supposed to walk as, as believers. And just to blow your socks off, right? Jordan and I were actually talking about verse one this past week, and he had listened to Francis Chan. You can go listen to Francis. Can you believe what he's saying? That's Francis Chan. But he was saying, Francis Chan said this, which is pretty amazing, right? He says, who have obtained a faith. Listen, I want you to hear this, right? This is you. He's talking to the saints, right? But it's you too. To those who have obtained a faith of Equal standing with ours. This is where Francis Chan was like, can you believe what he's saying? You have obtained a faith of equal standing with Peter. That's crazy. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's talking to saints. And this is what sanctification looks like. No, I want to I make five remarks here. First thing, starting at verse 3. And you're going to feel some major tension in, in verses 3 through 5. His divine power has granted to us, God's, that's talking about God, divine power, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the first thing I want you to see, number one, you go ahead and put it up. That's, that's the announcements. That's at the end of the service. All right, it's going to come up any second now. The first thing I want you to see is this. Um, 
regarding sanctification. It's, it's a sure thing. We've already talked about this already. It's a sure thing. There it is. God has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, God has granted you your sanctification. It's a sure thing. You will be sanctified. It's going to happen. He's granted you everything you need, every tool in the tool bag that's needed for sanctification. It's going to happen. He promises it, Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you, your justification, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Glorification. That means all the stuff that's supposed to happen will happen. He's promised it's going to happen. So whenever you think about sanctification, I think it's super helpful to start out with this major, huge, unbelievable fact. You're going to get sanctified. You might not feel like you're getting sanctified, but it's going to happen. Another place says it right here, and this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, which I already referenced, uh, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and your whole spirit and your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you hear that and you're like, okay, may it happen. That sounds great. Paul's just kind of proclaiming, may it happen. But then the next verse drives it home, it's going to. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So it's there, okay? So if you're struggling and wondering, well, I'm the exception. I'm the one that can't be sanctified. You're not. Every person in Christ is going to, ha- is going to get sanctified. They're going, you are going to become more and more Christ-like without question. That's what verse three is trying to help you see. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Point number one, God has granted you all things. You are going to be sanctified, you are going to be sanctified by which he has granted to us his precious, verse four, and very great promises so that through them you can become, here it is, partakers of the divine nature, partakers of the divine nature. As Calvin says, not in essence, but in quality. You're not becoming God. You're not a partaker of the divine nature in that you're becoming God. In essence, you're a partaker of the divine nature in that in quality, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're not becoming Jesus, all right? Uh, But you are becoming more like him, a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of this in the world because of sinful desire. You're becoming more and more like Christ every day. It's going to happen. That's what verse three is telling you in verse four. Now, second thing, verse five. For this reason... That it's going to happen, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with, and then he gives us this list. So point two looks, is this. You must pursue holiness with every degree of strength you have. Make every effort. So I want us to feel this tension here. There's tension, all right? If you look at number one and you look at number two, hopefully you wrote them down and you can look at them side by side. Number one, you're going to be sanctified. Number two, you have to pursue sanctification. All right, which one is it? I want you to feel the tension. We have to learn to live with this tension. If God has given me all I need for godliness, do I have to make every effort? If I have to make every effort for godliness, then has God given me all I need for life and godliness? There's tension there. The answer is yes. To both questions. He's given it to you. You still have to pursue it. He has given all of it to you. You still have to make every effort. He's, he's set up the system to be that way. And how does he do that? Well, he's God. He can do it that way. That's how. So you have to pursue sanctification with every single degree of strength you have. Make every effort. 
Peter doesn't mix any words here. Make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, etc. When we say supplement, it doesn't mean that saving faith is somehow lacking. And if you don't have these things, all of a sudden you lose your justification. It's saying now that you're saved, faith looks like these things. And he has this list and you can see it. This will be number three. You're pursuing sanctification looks like these things. Put up number three. Not an exhaustive list. It's not an exhaustive list. He, you, could list you could go to other places in the Bible and find more. But here's, here's what he puts um, in verses five through seven. Supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. So have these things in your life. This is, you could also go to other lists like Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit, Colossians 3, um, 12 through 14, there's a list. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, there's another, there's lists all over the Bible, right? You can find all kinds of lists. Here's Peter's. Virtue, which is like uh, moral goodness, being a virtuous person, doing things that are right. Knowledge, knowing all the things for no, th that are acting wisely. Self-control, disciplining yourself. Steadfastness, being steady in your walk. Uh, godliness, which is just holiness, being Christ-like. Brotherly affection, affection for the children of God. Affection for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Love, he widens it out from brotherly affection. This is love for all people. Christ followers or non-Christ followers. And he says, this is what sanctification looks like. It's having these things in your life. You should have these things in your life. So we talked about sanctification so far, pursuing it for God's glory. One, God's given you everything that you need to be sanctified. Whatever it is that, that entangles your heart, you do not have to think that it entangles your heart forever. You do not think that it's just taking you over and you have no hope for it to ever be killed. Totally untrue. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And number two, make every effort then. Focus in on the glory of God. Thirst, let your soul thirst for the glory of God that you want to pursue everything you can and you are actually going to make every effort. You don't want to take breaks. You don't want to take leave of absence on sanctification. You don't want to have times where you just kind of sat it out for a good six months. You want to make every effort continually. The making every effort doesn't keep you saved or save you. It's already happened. You've been justified. You're doing it because you love God's glory and you want to be a worshiper of Christ. And it looks like these things. Lots of lists, but it looks like these things. It looks like becoming a more virtuous person, knowledgeable person, self-controlled, steadfast. Now, these lists, this list and all lists in the Bible, it's really easy for us, especially if you're type A, to just pursue the list. As long as I pursue the list, then I'm good. And then you'll get into the list and you'll forget about why you're pursuing the list. The list will become the most important thing rather than the glory of God. And that's not, the, that's not the idea, right? The glory of God is the most important thing. And as you pursue the glory of God, you can put any list you want and you're gonna follow it. But don't make the list the most important thing so that you can try to be a God glorifier. It's keep those in the, right, in the right order. And after you see that, it says this, verse eight. Now, this is where we get to some important stuff. So if these qualities... That's verses five through seven. That's the list that he has. And you could put any list there, but that's his list. That's Peter's list. If these qualities, which are virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. If you're doing these things in your life, you're pursuing sanctification and your life looks like these things, then you, you won't be ineffective. 
you won't be un unfruitful. If you think your life is dominated by ineffectiveness for the, for the kingdom, unfruitfulness, well, you don't have to have that. You can, for God's glory, live out sanctification, and it looks like that, and then you won't be ineffective. You won't be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, so if you have those qualities, you won't be ineffective, you won't be unfruitful. And if you lack these qualities, here's where it gets pretty amazing. If you don't have that list going on, not that it's about the list, but if you, if you lack these qualities, then you are so nearsighted, that means you only see that's close to you, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you don't have these things happening in your life, then you've forgotten the gloriousness of, gloriousness of the gospel. You've been totally cleansed. So number four is this. Here's number four. Those that are being sanctified must be fruitful and effective for God because you are pursuing that list and not enamored with former sins. Uh, you could say it some other ways. Um, fruit is the evidence of, of sanctification. You might wonder, am I being sanctified? There should be fruit. That's what it's saying here. If these qualities are yours increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. If I see fruit, then I can say I'm being sanctified. Now, it's not about the fruit, but, but you can see, if I see fruit, it's evidence of sanctification. Another way to look at verse nine is, <laughs> it's just real simple. Justification yields sanctification. Like if you have truly trusted in the gospel, then you should see sanctification in your life. If you're not seeing sanctification in your life, then return to justification. You, you, you're so nearsighted that you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. It just means don't be enamored by previous sins. Instead, return to justification, preach the gospel to yourself, remind yourself of what God has done, and then you'll see sanctification. What God has done has given you a new heart. What God has done has transformed the old man into the new man. What God has done is forgiven all these sins because he put forward Christ as the payment and now you're the new man, you're the new woman, you're the new creation. That's pretty amazing. And so you, you continue walking on. So let's, let's, let's talk about some questions. Maybe these are hard hitting. I hope they're not too hard hitting. But as we're looking at verses eight and nine, let's, let's look at this. Um, would you say right now your life is fruitful for Christ? It says, if these qualities are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Would you say right now, my life is fruitful for Christ? Now, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian when I ask that. It just means maybe you just need to return back to preaching the gospel to yourself so that you can be. Would you say that right now you're being effective for God? Would you say right now that you're enamored with your former sins, that you're, you're being nearsighted? Um, if that's the case, again, it doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It means there's a glorious truth at the end of verse nine <clears throat> that Christ wants you to remind yourself of, that you have been cleansed from all your former sins. You have been washed clean. All of your sins have been forgiven. And so not only have you been cleansed, but the, the good news of the gospel is in sanctification, Jesus is removing from you even the desires to do those things. When he puts his spirit inside of you, he gives you new affections. He wants you, we have like a, a desire now to bring glory to God, not have those things. 
which is amazing. It's crucial to realize this, that whenever we've been forgiven of our sins, God gives us new desires. He gives us new desires. Calvin says it this way, um, the blood of Christ has not become a washing bath to us. In other words, we've been saved once we've been forgiven. It's not just a washing bath that we may be fouled by our filth, that we continue on sinning. He therefore calls them old sins, by which he means that our life altogether now ought to be completely otherwise formed because we have been cleansed from our sins, not that we can be pure from every sin while we live in the world because we don't believe in perfectionism or that the cleansing we obtain through Christ consists of pardon only. We're not just forgiven, but that we ought to differ from the unbelieving. We, we should look different than the world as God has separated us from himself because he's sanctifying us, he's separating. Though then we daily sin and God daily forgives us, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins, yet, it sin, not, yet sin ought not rule in us, but the sanctification of the spirit ought to prevail in us. So sin, because we're Christ followers, doesn't rule and reign over us any, anymore, but instead the sanctification of the spirit is prevailing. Sanctification of the Spirit, not sin. So when we see this number four, uh, those that are being sanctified must be effective and fruitful for God. This isn't a, a command to meet. Instead, it's a declaration of what is true of you. You have been sanctified, therefore you will be fruitful. That's, that's different. It's not be pr fruitful and prove your sanctification. That's not it. It's you have been justified you are being sanctified. You're going to be, you're going to be bearing fruit. Just get, get ready. Buckle your seatbelt. It's happening. Be awesome. I mean, be thankful that God's so awesome to do it for you in your life. That's number four. All right. Last thing is verse 10 and 11. This is number five. You can go ahead and put up number five. Those that are being sanctified show that they are truly saved and will eternally be with Jesus. Those that are being sanctified, sanctified show that they are truly saved and will eternally be with Jesus. Now, I'm referring to the end of your life here. If you're being truly sanctified when you die, you show that you're truly saved and that you're going to be with Jesus. Look at verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. These qualities, by the way, that's Peter's list. You will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that first sentence when it says, though, or first phrase, those that are being sanctified show they are truly saved. I'm just trying to stick to the text here, right? He's, it sounds like he's an Arminian, right? He's saying that you can lose your salvation. You will never fall. I do not believe that we can lose our salvation. So what he's trying to say, I think he's just saying this. You show that you're sanctified uh, by or you show that you're truly saved if you continually pursue sanctification. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So if you've been called and elected, you can't do that. God does that. And I don't think that God revokes salvation. And says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. It's not saying that unless you do the list, uh, then you'll lose your salvation because you've been called and elected. And so that can't change. But he's saying, since you've been called and elected, these things should be happening in your life. And since they should be happening in your life, you know that you're a believer. It's not that you're not a believer and you lost it. It's that you probably never were. Now, I'm focusing in, as I said on this sermon, on human responsibility. We, we could go a whole separate text somewhere else and not. But that's what I want to talk about today is 
for us to key in on that we are supposed to do these. We don't want to be ineffective and fruitful. We want to know that we're believers. And so we have these things going on in our life. And it says, after that, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those that are being sanctified will be glorified. Those that are being sanctified are promised an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those that are being sanctified are given the promise of heaven that you will eternally be with Jesus. That's the greatest thing about heaven is that it's Jesus, that we will be with him. So sanctification for us is about God's glory and our response to God's glory. And it has these surrounding amazing promises that are being made to us that uh, we will one day fully be sanctified. That means finally glorified and be with Jesus. So I want to conclude this way. And I want to conclude by uh, reading a passage from, from Jerry Bridges. And he talks about uh, the idea of what sanctification looks like and how it needs to be gospel-centered. He says, evangelicals commonly think today that the gospel is only for unbelievers. Now, if we're going to talk about sanctification, we have to concentrate on what it means uh, to be justified and what it means to, to return to the gospel in order to understand how the gospel informs sanctification. Evangelicals commonly think that the gospel is only for unbelievers. Once we're inside the kingdom's door, we need the gospel and only in order to share it with others who are still outside. Now, as believers, we need to hear the message. Now that we're believers, we need to hear the message of discipleship, not, not the gospel is what he means. We need to learn how to live the Christian life and be challenged to go on to do it. That's what I believed and I practiced in my life and ministry for some period of time. It was what most Christians seem to believe. As I see it, the Christian community is largely a performance-based culture today. The more deeply committed we are to following Jesus, the more deeply ingrained the performance mindset sets in. We think we earn God's blessing or forfeit God's blessing by how well we live the Christian life. That means people that focus in on the list and just think about doing the list, they think that God's more happy with them if they do the list. And if they don't do the list, then God's more unhappy with them. And that's inherently what he's saying is not the case. It's not the case. We need to understand what it means to be sanctified. And it's not about pursuing the list. Instead, it's about pursuing the glory of God and remembering what God has declared you. This is what he says. Most Christians have a baseline of acceptable, accept, accept, I can't say it for some reason. Most Christians have a baseline of acceptable performance. Acceptable. I can't say it. <laughs> acceptable. I think I'm saying it right. Most Christians have a baseline of acceptable performance. That was so strange. By which they gauge their acceptance by God. <laughs> for many, this baseline is, is no more than regular church attendance, avoidance of major sins. Such Christians are often characterized by some degree of self-righteousness. After all, they don't indulge in major sins and what's happening around it. Such Christians would not think they need the gospel anymore. They would say the gospel is just for sinners. Gradually over time, from a... Deep, deep sense of need, I came to realize that the gospel is for believers too, not just for unbelievers to hear, to get saved, but for believers too. I learned that Christians need to hear the gospel all of their lives because it's the gospel that continues to remind us that our day-to-day -day acceptance with the Father is not based on what we do for God, but instead upon what Christ did for us in his sinless life and sin-bearing death. 
I began to see that we stand before God today as righteous as we will ever be, even in heaven, because he has clothed us with the righteousness of his son. Therefore, I don't have to perform to be accepted by God. I am free to obey him and serve him because I am already accepted in Christ. See Romans 8.1. My driving motivation now is not guilt, but gratitude. That's the key. The reason why you will be sanctified is because of gratitude for what he's done because you want to give him glory. My driving motivation now is guilt. It's not guilt, but gratitude. Yet even when we understand that our acceptance with God is based on Christ's work, we still naturally tend to drift back to performance mindset. Consequently, we must continually return to the gospel to use an expression of Jack Miller, who's the one who coined the phrase, I guess. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So as believers, we must continually trust in the gospel and its essential qualities in sanctification. Sanctification. We must preach the doctrine of the gospel to ourselves every day and reminding ourselves that our relationship isn't based on performance based, but instead it's based on the cross and God's glory. And as we concentrate more and more on Christ's glory and we're not motivated by guilt, but instead of gratitude, we become a life of worship, a life of seeking out the glory of God in our life. Where's the glory of God today? I want to do that. And I know that by doing that, I'm gonna become more sanctified. I don't wanna be more sanctified just because I don't like having guilt pains. I wanna be more, I want to pursue Christ's glory today. And I know that I'll be more sanctified because I'm doing that, which is how we become more Christ-like or sanctified. We daily pursue Christ's glory, not daily pursue, stop doing bad stuff. That's fine. I mean, you can do that some days and you'll feel better those days, but that's not the large way that we pursue sanctification. So um, what's not the gospel? I want to talk about that and then we'll finish. Uh, man, I, I meant to grab my coffee cup off my desk. If y'all can hear me in my office, bring me my coffee cup with all the pens. I meant to grab that to bring it out. So what's not the gospel? Uh, the first thing is the, it's, it's not the broken coffee cup. Thank you, Jordan. It's not this. So I, I had this made by Karis for me, daddy's girl. And uh, what happened is one day I dropped it down the stairs and it fell all the way down the stairs and it shattered into a tons of pieces, right? And when it shattered in tons of pieces, they were all heartbroken and I felt really terrible. And so I'm like, I'm gonna fix it. And I didn't know how to fix it because I don't know really how to do stuff. And so I got Gorilla Glue and you can see the little brown lines, right? And I filled it up with Gorilla Glue and I put it all back together and you can't drink out of this because I think the poison would kill me. And so now it's my pen holder on my desk. Uh, this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. It's not that you were actually just fine at birth and somehow you messed your life up and you broke yourself and then God put the pieces back together. That's not the gospel. It's not big enough to think of it that way because we were actually born sinners. We weren't born just fine and God picked up our pieces and put us back together after we made a train wreck of our life. That's not the gospel. That's kind of a neat story but it's much bigger than that. We were actually born broken, and when God put us back together, we, we don't look like this, because <laughs> this is not so good. We actually look perfect, because that's what the gospel has done for us, and we're becoming more and more progressively like this. This is also not the gospel. It's not that, uh, I heard this whenever I was little, that, that uh, you're out in the lake, and you can't swim, and 
you're, you're, you're staying there as, as much as you can and you're like trying to, and God like comes in and he's like, hey, I'm gonna save you. I don't want you to die. And he throws you the life preserver and all you gotta do is just, in order to be saved, is just reach out and grab the life preserver and then he'll pull you to shore and you were gonna die, but he, he saved you by pulling. That's not the gospel either because a, a, a more accurate is that, that you were actually dead laying on the bottom of the lake completely out of it. And he came down and pulled you out of the bottom of the lake, brought you out, resuscitated you, brought you back to life. You were dead and now you're alive. So the reason why I say it those ways is because we can somehow uh, minimize the gloriousness, gloriousness of what's happened to us by using, you know, sometimes we think are fine illustrations, but they aren't big enough. We weren't just like treading water and God pulled us out. We weren't great and then God just kind of put us back together when we made a, a mess of our life. We were dead and God made us alive. We were born wicked, wretched sinners. And God has now said, you're not that at all. You were completely holy in Christ. He made you just like his son when he justified you. And so when that's the case, when we think about what God has done, all we want to do is bring him glory. And that's how we pursue sanctification is because he has done far more in the gospel than we can comprehend, not less, far more in putting us back together. And that's why we pursue sanctification for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing gospel and that beholding is becoming. So help us continually behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror as we look at ourselves, the truth is that we don't see ourselves more and more. We see ourselves less and less, but we see you. And that's this amazing launching pad into sanctification, that we're all about the glory of God in sanctification. And sure, there's lists. There's stuff, not just in Second Peter. They're all over the Bible of what it looks like. And it's really easy to turn it upside down and pursue lists, per pursue stuff, get the list done. Because God's going to be happy with me if I get the list done. It's easy to fall into that trap, Lord. Keep us from that. Of course, we will do those things, but because we're pursuing your glory. God, keep us from turning sanctification upside down and making it about a list instead of your glory. I pray that the end result of a sermon like this, Lord, is that we have people on fire for your glory and that the secondary byproduct is that we're becoming more sanctified. We want to be more sanctified. We don't love sin. We don't want it in our life. It makes us sad when we do it. But God, don't make us the driving force about, about why we would do that. But instead, make you the driving force about why we would want to be more sanctified. We love you, Lord, and pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to the time of the Lord's Supper. This is time for believers. If you're not a believer, just observe. And this is where we celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us. We, we celebrate.